When I uh, go somewhere, one of my least favorite things to do is to follow somebody there. Okay, so uh, I prefer to plug an address into my phone, <laughs> into my GPS on my phone, and then when somebody says, hey, just follow behind me and I'll get you there. Oh, no, 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 you won't. Because inevitably something is going to happen. I'm going to get stopped at a, a train and you're three miles down the road and I have no idea where you've gone. Or I'm going to get stopped at a red light and you're a mile down the road. Or someone's going to get in between us like a giant Hummer. Like, you know, in my little Sonata, I can't see you anymore. And the, the, the giant Roadhog Hummer is like in our way and I can't follow you. And I can't stand it when that happens. Like I said, I just prefer to punch the address into my GPS and that'll get me there. So tell me where we're going, because I can't follow you. And I think we all feel that way from time to time. Maybe you're that way when it comes to following somebody on the road. Or maybe you're that way when it comes to following Jesus in your life. That with the places that Jesus wants to take you, if you can't see the way, if you're not sure where you're going, it can be hard to follow him. If you're not sure where the path is going to lead, it can be hard to follow him. If you're not sure where we're headed, it can be hard to follow him. And sometimes Jesus asks us to do some pretty difficult things. He asks us to make some pretty difficult choices. He asks us, asks us to make some difficult decisions. And today we're going to talk about some of those difficult areas of our lives where we have to surrender to him in order to follow him better. Now, um, if you brought a Bible, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Uh, this, uh, if you, how many of you have been doing the reading that's in the bulletin? Okay, we, we put a little bit of a uh, kind of a reading plan for the next week's uh, chapter, and we've been doing that uh, this entire series through the book of Mark. And um, if you read this week's chapter, you know what I'm talking about, because this is a tough chapter. I told somebody last night at our 5.30 Saturday night service, I said, you know, this is a chapter that literally has five sermons in it. I mean, I could preach five sermons just from Mark chapter 10. And to try and do it all at once is like drinking from a fire hose. It is, it is intense. So we're going to cover this as quickly as we can, but with as much depth as we can, uh, as we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how hard that can be. Um, so if you brought a Bible, great, turn to Mark chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 715 of that Bible. Or, like I said, you can download the GFCC app by searching GFCC in the App Store or texting GFCC app to 77977. Uh, and uh, you can follow along. You just open up your app and uh, you can go right to the sermon notes section uh, on your phone. Um, I can show you how this works. So right there, it says sermon notes and it's on the home page of the app. Uh, and uh, all the Bible verses that are on the screen are in there as well as some blanks to fill in toward the end of the message. So uh, right now I want to start... Uh, just by giving you a little bit of background of where we are, at the end of Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus and his disciples were in Capernaum. Capernaum was a city uh, uh, in the region of Galilee, which was around the Sea of Galilee, and uh, they were uh, in their base of operations. So Jesus' Galilean base of operations was the city of Capernaum. And now they're going to leave Capernaum, and they're going to go to a different place. They're going to go to the region of Judea, and Judea was down by Jerusalem. And Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem for the last week of his life. And starting next week, we're going to cover the last week of his life in Mark 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, and 16. So uh, almost half the book is covering 
covers the last week of Jesus' life. We'll get to that starting next week, and that'll lead us up to Easter. Just a reminder, we have five services for Easter. We have two Saturday nights at 4 o'clock and 5.30, and Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11. So we'll have five services for Easter this year. We're very excited about that. Uh, my voice, I'm, I'm training right now. I'm like doing vocal exercises to make sure I'm ready for five, five sermons in, in, in less than 24 hours. So, um, so Jesus and his disciples are going to head over the mountains of Samaria, uh, over the Jordan River, uh, into the region of Perea. Now, the uh, Palestine, the ancient uh, region of Palestine, was under the control of three governors. At one point, it was under one governor, and that was Herod the Great. Well, Herod the Great, when he died, had three sons. And each of his sons took control of one region of Palestine. One of those governors was Herod Antipas. Now, if you've been here for the past few weeks, you may remember that name, Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod Antipas was the region, the governor over Perea, and he was the guy who uh, divorced his wife and married his sister-in-law, his brother's wife. His brother's wife, Herodias, divorced her husband and married her brother-in-law. So Herod and Herodias uh, got together and, and were married. Well, John the Baptist uh, decried and um, denounced their marriage as unlawful. And this really made Herodias angry to the point where Herod the Great imprisoned John the Baptist and at his uh, wife's daughter's request beheaded John the Baptist and executed him. So John the Baptist was imprisoned and executed because he denounced Herod's marriage. This is the background, the cultural and historical background of this story in Mark chapter 10 at the beginning where Jesus talks about divorce. So Jesus and his disciples are in Perea, and some Pharisees come, and verse 2 says, Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. And so you've got the Pharisees who are going to come, and they're trying to trip Jesus up. But they're sneaky. You see, the Pharisees wanted to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. We see so earlier in the book of Mark. They wanted to kill Jesus. But they're thinking to themselves, wait a minute. If John the Baptist was imprisoned and executed because he denounced Herod's marriage as unlawful, wonder what Jesus thinks about marriage in Herod's region. You see, if word gets back to Herod that Jesus is also denouncing his marriage as unlawful, well, that's just an easy way to get rid of Jesus. They don't have to get their hands dirty. So we'll let the Romans do our dirty work for us. And so Jesus uh, answers the Pharisees and says, well, what did Moses say? He points it back to Moses. And Moses in Deut Deuteronomy 24.1 said this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, he gives it to her and sends her from his house. In those days, in Moses' day, if for any reason you became displeased with your wife, you could divorce her. And just by writing her a certificate of divorce, you didn't even have to go before a judge, uh, nothing like that, uh, no legal proceedings. You would just say, I'm, I'm tired of my wife and she displeases me. And, and then you could just send her away and, and be scot-free. Now, 
Moses, Jesus said, Moses allowed you to do this because your hearts were hard. Your hearts were far from God. You weren't fulfilling God's plan for marriage. And what God's plan for marriage is found in the next passage of Mark, where Jesus said at the beginning, God made them male and female, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one flesh. And marriage uh, has got to be taken seriously by God's people, because it's taken seriously by God. Now, when you take two sinful, broken people and put them in a relationship, you know what's going to happen? A lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. It does happen in our marriages. And it's because we're sinful, broken people. We're all sinners, every single one of us. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners. And so whether you are married or remarried or, or going through the process of getting divorced or going through the process of getting remarried or going through the process of getting married, just know this, your spouse is not perfect. And they never will be. And guess what? Neither will you. We all need God's grace when it comes to marriage. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But Jesus' point, he's, it, the point of the story isn't that, you know, Jesus is denouncing divorce and remarriage. No, the point of the story is that the Pharisees are trying to trip him up. The Pharisees are trying to get rid of him. And so they're going to use his own words against him to try and get him to, uh, to, to denounce Herod's marriage so that Herod will get rid of Jesus. They're very sneaky. Well, the disciples want to know what Jesus is talking about, and he says this in verses 11 and 12. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, when it comes to this issue of divorce and remarriage, um, Jesus, they want to know, scholars want to know, well, why doesn't Jesus allow for infidelity? Because in the other Gospels, it says that if, if there's infidelity, the divorce... Uh, uh, is permissible and remarriage is permissible. Why doesn't Jesus say that here? Again, the point of this story isn't uh, Jesus' teachings on divorce and remarriage. Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, there's the bigger story of the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up. And he's just giving a general principle of marriage rather than a hard and fast rule when it comes to divorce and remarriage. And if you've been through divorce and, and are remarried and you're thinking, oh, I'm ruined, no, you're not. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. God's grace is greater than all of our mistakes. God's grace is greater than all of our uh, failures. God's grace is greater. And we all depend on it. We all need it. No matter where you are, in marriage or divorce or remarriage, we all need God's grace. Amen? You better believe it. So, at this point, Jesus tells his disciples what, uh, what's up when it comes to divorce and remarriage. And all of a sudden, some people start bringing their children to Jesus for him to bless them. And so they're bringing, uh, people are bringing their children to Jesus, and the disciples try and stop them. The disciples are like, oh, no, 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 get away from me, kid, you bother me. And so they're kind of pushing the kids away from Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Look at verses 14 and 15. When Jesus saw that he was indignant, he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, why does he say that? Because little children are believers. Like, you tell a little kid something, they're going to believe you. Like, all kinds of stuff, right? And, and so, little kids are believers. 
And it's so important that we as adults don't become so jaded and cynical that we do not believe. Because our faith can become jaded and cynical. And our uh, faith in Christ can be jaded by the world. He says, don't let the world jade you. Don't let the world make you cynical. Accept the kingdom of God like a little child. Have that childlike faith and belief. That's what we're called to do. But Jesus says, if you don't accept it like a little child accepts things, you know, it's when we get older that fear and doubt and anxiety starts to creep in. Those doubts about God, those doubts about God's power, those doubts about God's love. That's when those doubts creep in is when we get older. Those fears creep in. And we got to accept the kingdom of God like a little child accepts things. That's what it means to have a childlike faith. Well, Jesus then, uh, a man, he, they're getting ready to leave the region and head, start heading towards Jerusalem. And a man comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. And this may reveal a little bit about the man's faith, that he believed Jesus to be God. Because the Jews in Jesus' day believed that only, only God was good. We throw the word good around like it's, like it's no big deal. Oh, that was a good meal. That was a good movie. That was a good show. That was a good concert. That was a good sermon. You probably don't say that very much, but I'm just saying. Um, no, we throw the word good around like, like, like it doesn't mean anything. In Jesus' day, the only thing that they would describe as good was God. Because God is always, always good. And so... Uh, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So I'm a good, he's a good man. He's a good moral man. He does what he's supposed to do. He's a good Jewish man. Well, Jesus is going to break his heart. Because <laughs> in verse 21 it says this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And that word love is that Greek word agape, which is an unconditional, unlimited, unselfish kind of love. Jesus looked at him unconditionally because he knew his heart and he knew what was going on there. And he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. It says the man went away very sad because he was very wealthy. And he couldn't bring himself to sell everything he had and to give to the poor and to follow Jesus. His money got in the way. And, and when it comes to money, you know, God wants it all. And God owns it all. God owns everything. And Jesus tells his disciples, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, it says, were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why does Jesus say that? Why are the disciples amazed at Jesus' words? Why are they amazed by what he says? It's because it was believed in those days that the wealthier you were, the more blessed you were by God, the more favored you were by God, the better person you were, because God would not bless those with wealth who were not righteous. 
that the more righteous you were, the wealthier you were. And so when Jesus says, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, the disciples are like, well, who can be saved? I mean, if it's not the wealthy, uh, we've left everything to follow you, they said. I mean, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, verse 27, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. That anyone can be saved through God's power and God's grace. Anyone can be saved. The worst of sinners can be saved by God's power and God's grace. If you'll believe in Jesus and turn away from your sins in repentance, confess your faith, get baptized, God will wash away your sins. And it doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what your past looks like, God's only concerned about your future. And that's a future that he wants to spend with you forever and ever and ever. And it's all about taking a step of faith toward grace. So Jesus tells his disciples, the disciples are like, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that no matter what you've given up, it will be given to you uh, more and more and more in my Father's kingdom. That no matter what you've given up here in this life, it's nothing compared to what you're going to receive for those who give up uh, what, uh, uh, anything. And then Jesus goes on to predict his death one more time. This is the third time he's predicted his death. Look at verses 33 and 34. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So Jesus drops this heavy truth bomb on his disciples. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and this is going to happen really, really soon. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. They're going to crucify me. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And what do the disciples do? Two of them, James and John, come up to Jesus and say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> say, what? Yeah, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Well, what do you want, Jesus says. He says, one of us wants to sit on your left, and the other one of us wants to sit on your right in your glory. Jesus says this, verse 38 and 39. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus says, you will. They had no idea what he was talking about. James became one of the first martyrs in the church. He became one of the first martyrs. And John died in prison because of his faith on the prison island of Patmos. And so these two guys, they had no idea what they were asking of Jesus. Uh, he just told them what to expect, and they still didn't get it. They were thinking about themselves. And the other disciples became indignant. They were mad at James and John. How could you ask like that? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says this in verses 42 through 45. He says, you, you know, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first be, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That Jesus didn't come to be served. He didn't expect anyone to wait on him hand and foot. He came to serve everyone. And if you want to look like Jesus, you've got to do three things. You've got to love, serve, and forgive people. 
Because that's what Jesus came to do. He loved everyone. He loved people unconditionally. We saw that with the rich man. He served people. He says the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, uh, not, did not come to be served, but to serve. You've got to serve people, and then you've got to forgive people. Even Jesus, when he was on the cross, was asking the Father to forgive those who were crucifying him, forgive those who were killing him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If you want to look like Jesus, you've got to do three things. You've got to love, serve, and forgive other people the way that Jesus did. That's how we look like Jesus. The last story of chapter 10 is where uh, a man uh, named Bartimaeus was blind and a beggar. And he was uh, calling out to Jesus. He heard that Jesus was coming. And he starts calling out to Jesus uh, for him to come and heal him. And he keeps crying out and crying out. And people are telling him to, to stop it. Just shut up. And he keeps crying out. And they said, look, the master's calling you. Come over to him. And Jesus calls him over to him. Verse 51 says this. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to to see. And Jesus healed the man. Now, there's some uh, question as to why is this man, his name was Bartimaeus, he was the son of Timaeus, why is he mentioned? And why does this story occur here in this chapter about discipleship and following Jesus? And it's believed that maybe Bartimaeus was one of the earliest followers of Jesus uh, and that he was well known in the church. And so when his story is told, people go, oh, Bart, we know him. And so this is his story. I want to see. I love that phrase. I want to see. What do you want to see today? Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see him clearly? And do you believe that you will? Are you ready to follow him no matter what? Are you ready to follow him from this life into the next? And if you want to follow him into the next life, you've got to follow him in this life. And we do that in five ways. And this is where you can fill in some blanks on your app. The first way that Jesus wants you to follow him is Jesus wants you to follow him in your marriage. And that means taking your marriage seriously. Whether you are getting ready to be married, whether you are married, or whether you're getting married, ready to be remarried, you've got to take your marriage seriously. And Jesus wants you to take your marriage seriously. And I think one of the best ways that we can do this is to uh, apply a principle that Jesus taught in another place to treat others the way you want to be treated. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Golden rule, right? That if you want to have a, a better marriage or a better remarriage, you've got to treat others the way you want to be treated. And that includes your spouse. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That includes your spouse. And that's not always easy. You know, we often take our spouse for granted. Or, or we, we hurt our spouse knowing that they're going to forgive us anyway. No, if you want to follow Jesus in your marriage, whether you're getting ready to be married, or you are married, or maybe getting ready to be remarried, you've got to take your marriage vows seriously, and you've got to follow Jesus in your marriage. And that means treating others the way you want to be treated. So that's the first way we follow Jesus. We've got to follow Jesus in our marriage. Secondly, Jesus wants you to follow him in faith. And it's like having that childlike faith that does away with doubt, that does away with fear. And are we going to have doubts? Yes. Are we going to have fears? Yes, we will. But we've got to be moving backwards. Instead of trying to 
Uh, if we want to mature in faith, we've got to become more childlike and, and accept and believe the, the words of Scripture, accept and believe the words of Jesus, accept and believe the stories of, of who He is and what He did. You've got to become more childlike in your faith. You want to follow Jesus in your faith. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to follow Him in your marriage. You've got to follow Him in your faith. And you've got to follow Him with your money. Oh, Sean, can we skip this one? No, it's right there. It's, it's right there. We can't skip this one. And here's the thing about your money. It ain't your money. No, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. What are you talking about? I work hard for my money. I go to work. I, I work my fingers to the bone. I, I work hard for my money. Who gave you the job? Who gave you the car to get you to your job? Who gives you the energy from the food you eat that he also provided to do your job? God is the source of every good gift in our lives. What it says in the book of James, God is the giver of all good gifts. So everything you have is a gift from him. Everything you have, every possession, every dollar in your bank account, your home, your clothes, your car, everything is a gift from God and should be used for him should be turned back over to him how can i dedicate my life and my money to the one who gave it to me because it's not my money it's his so how would he and, and the thing when it comes to tithing all right you know we talk about tithing in the church and giving 10 percent of our income it's not about the 10 percent you give it's about what are you going to do with the 90 percent you get to keep what do you do with the 90%? Use that for the expenses and the things and, and trust God with the 10% that you get to give back. It's not a matter of I have to give 10%. I get to give 10%. And I get to see lives change. I get to see my church grow. I get to see people go to heaven who might not have heard if not for the, the ministry of GFCC. So Jesus wants you to follow him in your marriage. He wants you to follow him in faith. He wants you to follow him in your money. And he also wants you to follow him in your service. And that's learning to become a servant and serving other people. Instead of waiting for others to wait on you hand and foot, it's about serving other people. And if you want to look like Jesus, you've got to become a servant. And man, that's hard because we live in a world that we don't like to be servants. We expect to be served. I mean, just go to Yelp, all right? Check out some Yelp reviews of a restaurant. And what, are the, what is the overwhelming? It's not quality of food. It's the service. Oh, the service was terrible. The service was awful. You know, I waited five minutes for my drink to be filled. I waited ten minutes for my steak to come. And it was, you know, I, I waited and I waited and I waited. And, and my every need wasn't met the way I thought it should be. We expect to be served. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So how can you serve others in your life? Because you'll look more like Jesus when you do. And this whole thing boils down to this. Jesus wants you to follow him with your whole heart. He wants you to follow him with your whole heart. He doesn't want you to hold anything back. He gave everything for you. Are you willing to give up everything for him? Because when it comes to following him, Jesus knows the way because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through him, he said in John 14, 6. That there's only one way to get to heaven, and that is by following Jesus. If you want to follow him into heaven, you've got to follow him on earth. And that means following him in your marriage and in faith and with your money and with your whole heart and as a servant. That if you want to follow Jesus, this is how you've got to do it. And there's no better life. When we do that, when we follow him with our whole heart, when we give him everything, when we surrender everything to him and we just turn everything over to him and say, God, nothing I have is mine. Everything I have is yours. My time, my talent, my treasure, everything is yours. We find purpose in life and meaning in life. And life is so much better when we live for something greater than ourselves, when we live for someone greater than ourselves. And he's going to get you where you want to be. Because we all want to end up in heaven. Amen? Well, that's kind of a weak amen for going to heaven. We all want to go to heaven. Amen? Amen. And Jesus is already there. It tells me that Jesus knows the way. And if you want to get there, you've got to follow him. Like I said, chapter 10 is a tough chapter. And following Jesus is hard. But God is good. And God is gracious. And when we fail, and we will fail. And when we miss the mark, we will miss the mark. And when we fall short, we will fall short. He makes up the difference by his grace and his forgiveness. So let's dedicate ourselves today to following Jesus every step of the way.